Welcome to Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hui Chen Bui. I'm a pop culture journalist in DC and a writer for Slash Film. And with me are... I am Anya Crittenton, associate editor at The Tracking Board. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the DC area. So today, in honor of the release of the critical and successful smash hit Wonder Woman... Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, other Wonder Women in cinema and movies we want to see of them and by them. And uh, basically just, you know, female directors we want to see make blockbuster hits, um, fictional and non-fictional ladies who deserve movies, and superhero mo- superheroines and other comic book characters who might des- who deserve movies. And we'll just uh, dive right into it. So um, why don't we start with Anya? What are we starting with? Oh, uh, yeah. So each of us chose uh, three women, uh, one fictional female character that we want to see a movie of, one non-fictional female character we want to see a movie of, and one female director who we love to see make a jump to blockbusters or just do some prolific film. Um, so yep, yeah. Anya, what are your? Th- who are your three women? Okay. Um, so I'll start with fictional. Fictional was really hard for me to narrow down. Um, I have, I have two listed, one with an asterisk. So I'm just gonna, so my asterisk one is that, so there's a Batgirl film coming out that's in Mm -hmm. development and it's probably gonna be Barbara Gordon, which makes sense and it's totally fine. But Stephanie Brown is my favorite Bat-Kid of all time and she gets not a lot of, like, screen time, either in the comics or TV shows or anything like that. Um, she is ridiculed a lot, but she's my favorite. So I just one day want to see Stephanie Brown kind of get what she deserves in terms of, like, good storyline and people recognizing her and knowing who she is. Um, so my secret dream is that Batgirls is going to be Stephanie Brown, even though it's not. <laughs> Um, but my actual one without like an asterisk or anything is I would love to see the women of Tamara Pierce's Tortali universe on screen. Mm. Um, so I've talked about this before, but, um, Tamara Pierce is an author and her Tortali universe is basically like a medieval high fantasy universe. You know, there are mythical creatures and kings and queens and courts and kingdoms and knights um and she has a couple different series within that universe and they're all featured female protagonists um some of whom are just lady knights some of whom can talk to animals you know they all have their own different thing and so one day since i love fantasy so much i would just love to see that this world come to life and these great female characters on screen so that's my fictional pick um not necessarily one woman but just the women of tortal uh, she's never been adapted uh, by Hollywood ever before. She has concerns about it as an author. She's talked about that before. So we'll see if it ever happens. I would love to see a Tamora Pierce movie. She has such great, rich stories, and they're all led by wonderful female characters. So it's on. It's honestly high time that they do it because they are adapting so many books that are not as high quality, and Tamora Pierce is just – all her books are so great. Yeah, completely agreed. Um, all right, so the next woman I did, the nonfiction woman that I chose to kind of be adapted, um, her name is Ala Natsimova, 
and she was a Russian actress um, in the early 20th century. She came over from Russia to America and she acted on stage and in silent films in Hollywood. So she's really interesting and really fascinating and obviously I love stories about Hollywood, um, as cliche as they are, but the other thing about her is that she was a queer woman and we need more representation of queer women on screen. And the whole thing with her is that um, biographers have called her the most notorious Hollywood lesbian actress of all. She, I know, it's very embellished. Um, so she coined the term sewing circle, which was basically just a euphemism for a gathering of queer women. And so she would ha- host sewing circles at her house of just all these queer women getting together. Um, <laughs> and then the other big thing is that she had a marriage to a gay actor named Charles Bryant, And it was what was known as a lavender marriage, which was basically just they married each other to hide the fact that they were both queer. Oh, so Mm. they were each other's beards. Basically, yeah. It was. It's called the lavender marriage. marriage. Sounds so much nicer than just being a beard. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So this lavender marriage uh, she had, although when it was exposed, it really hurt her career, and she never really sort of bounced back from it. So I just think her story is rich to be adapted to the big screen it's you know full of intrigue and scandal and you know she's a glamorous actress and you know i just want to see more queer women leading their own stories in hollywood Mm. so that's my non-fiction pick and then my director um the female director of my heart will always be sofia coppola she's one of my favorite directors of all time but i think she's having a pretty good go of it lately so I feel like I wanted to pick someone who's a bit lesser, you know, so be a couple of just one best director at Cannes, which we can talk about a bit later, because Cannes has some great moments for women this year. Um, but my pick is Ama Asante, who is the director of films like Belle and The United Kingdom. So she's mostly only done kind of period romances. Um, I've actually only seen one of her films, Belle. I want to see The United Kingdom, but I just haven't had the chance to yet. Um, but Belle had a really big impression on me as a film um, because it was, you know, led by a woman of color and the story of a woman of color in history. It's a period piece. It's lavish. It's beautiful. And Ama Asante just really handled the film very beautifully and very delicately while not being afraid to kind of tackle uh, issues of race uh, and sexuality and things head on. So I would love to see her get some more high-profile projects because I think she's a wonderful director and it's a shame that more people don't know her. And she's a woman of color. So I think we also need, you know, intersectionality in our representation and diversity. So those are all my picks. Okay. All right. All right, I will go next. Okay. Um, So my first pick for the fictional character is a superhero. And she's actually a really recent superhero. It's Miss Marvel. Um, So she's the Muslim American teenager 
who took on the mantle of Miss Marvel from uh, Carol, and uh, after she Carol became Danvers. yeah Carol Dan- Danvers after she became Captain Marvel, and uh, she is a an Inhuman who um, gets her powers after a Terrigen mist envelops her town, and she has the powers essentially of um, shape shifting and kind of stretching her body. She's like a mix between like a shapeshifter and. Um, Mr. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm like, oh yeah, that dude. <laughs> but yeah, she is really fun, and it's a one of she's the first Muslim American superhero, I think. But at least the most prolific one. She's the most prominent and, for sure. Yes, most pro- most prominent, and it would be amazing to see that on the big screen, especially in uh, troubled times, as troubled political times as it is now, with um, you know the Muslim ban always kind of hanging in the air and um, just a lot of uh, Islamophobia going on at the moment. And um, it would be really wonderful to see a fully fleshed out, rich portrayal of a Muslim American teen who just wants to save the world and help people. And it's a really nuanced take. I, I've read only the first um, trade edition of Miss Marvel, but it's really fun. It has kind of the... Um, the same vibe as early Spider-Man comics in which she's just an ordinary teenager who just is trying to balance her superhero life with her ordinary high school life. Um, but it's also intermixed with her own religious and like family traditions and cultural um, nuances as well. So it would be really great to see that on the big screen. Um, and I would love that. Uh, and so my fictional, no, my non-fictional character, uh, woman is kind of along the, line, the same lines as Anya. I want to see Hedy Lamar uh, portrayed on the big screen. So she is a golden age Hollywood actress who became um, a well-known inventor and actually invented a device that became the basis for Wi-Fi um, as we know it now. And so, she, yeah, she's Women. amazing. She's, she's a badass who was working through like World War II and became, you know, like, I was looking up a little bit of the history beforehand because I didn't actually do much research, sadly, but I would love to see, again, her story on the big screen and not just, like, a typical biopic, but, like, about how she was struggling against, you know, gender issues and sexism and not having a lot of prolific women inventors at the time. It would be great to see her struggling with that as well as, like, her discrimination against, you know, her looks, and she's an actress and everything. Um something else but it would be really nice too to see golden age hollywood actresses portrayed on the big screen and not as some sort of um soapy lurid portrayal that we've been seeing lately i'm thinking a lot of actually about feud and the portrayals of betty davis and joan crawford and kind of the campy takes that we've seen on golden hate golden age actresses um the many attempts to try to bring Marilyn Monroe to the screen often end up being really flat because they focus on like, you know, her, the iconography surrounding her, not actually her. So it'd be really nice to see a really well done, fleshed out portrayal of Hollywood actress for who's known more for than just like for her looks, or at least a portrayal that is more than just about her looks or her legacy. Kind of like along the lines of Kate Blanchett as Katherine Hepburn in The Aviator. Was that was great. a really great performance mm-hmm. and a great um, in-depth personification of that. Yeah, she was a flawed, complex person. And I would love to see that. Um, and my last one, 
Hold on, I'm bringing up my notes because I've been going all over the place. Um, wonderful women. Um, so my behind the camera pick is Andrea Arnold. So she's the director of American Honey, which was the um, indie hit from last year starring Shia LaBeouf and is about kind of like these wandering, uh, directionless teens who travel the country selling like magazines, but then like engaging in the culture of like sex and drugs and everything like that. And it's really interesting, really just refreshing take on a society that, or like a cult, little community that you don't really usually see. And, oh, she also directed Fish Tank, which I have not seen, but because of her takes on American teens, I would maybe like her to, to do Miss Marvel because she has such a great understanding of teenagers and of different communities that aren't usually portrayed on the big screen. So, Andrea Arnold, would love to see her do Make the Jump to Blockbusters because there are too many, too many indie male directors who make the jump from their one successful indie hit onto doing onto helming like the biggest blockbuster of all time and they do it mediocrely and there's so many talented indie women directors who can just make that jump and do such a splendid job agreed like also Patty fish Jenkins. tank is a great film and it's worth okay. checking out okay awesome michael fassbender's in it for like he <gasps> became famous Ooh. now i have to check it out Ooh, cool <laughs> all right Willoughby, yes. what are your picks? So um, I'll go with fictional first because I feel like we've done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is uh, Kate Bishop, um, the uh, Hawkeye character who isn't uh, Clint Barton. Mm-hmm. The better um, Hawkeye, to be honest. I love her character in the Matt Fraction uh, series. Uh, she's very much this like spunky youth who takes no shit. And will investigate everything. And I really like the Veronica Mars, uh, like almost like not spinoff within the series, but her own plot when she moves out to LA. Mm-hmm. She she has this very detective noir um, storyline, and I'd like to see that adapted to the big screen. I think it could be fun because for most of the Marvel movies, they have. I mean, I like when they take a genre and put it on superheroes. We haven't had detective story yet. It could be Batman, hopefully, but... Yeah, yeah, but, like, Batman will probably get it, but I would like to see kind of this this version of Hawkeye, like, Kate Bishop, like, as, like, 16, 17 years old, like, living on her own in L.A., and just, like, stumbling into something probably she shouldn't have, but solving a murder, solving a crime, and meeting a bunch of fun, cool people along the way, and just having a blast, and, mm-hmm. like... She's a she's a superhero, but she doesn't have superpowers. Obviously, she has, she's got great bow and arrow archery skills, mm-hmm. and she uses that to great extent in the comics. Um, but I feel like it would be more along the lines, not super superhero-y, but more just a detective story within the Marvel Cinematic Universe or something. I'm assuming Pizza Dog would be in it. Oh, of course, of course. And probably like an appearance by uh, Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye. Um, Kate Bishop is also really fun in the Young Avengers. She's absolutely delightful. She has a really great friendship with Cassie Lang, who is Scott Lang, Ant-Man's daughter. Mm-hmm. And their friendship is really beautiful and wonderful. So Cassie should make an appearance in your movie, too. Ooh, of course, because she's she was in Ant-Man, correct? 
but as like as a, a, as a child, as, yeah. as like a little so, little girl. Possibly phase four in twenty twenty two when both characters are probably in teenage years. Like they'll be fun. They'll team up and they'll kick some some awesome butt. Yeah, um, and Cassie's Cassie's hero name is Stature, and she can grow ooh, really big, just like ooh. Stock can occasionally. <laughs> um, I've only read the second Young Avengers series, which was uh, which had Kate Bishop, but what took place after the Hawkeye Matt Fraction Hawkeye series, and it had um, America Chavez. Yes, in it, and she had a sort of I want to say fling, but kind of a, a little. They definitely have a flirtation. A little flirtation, yeah. The Which Young Avengers great. are so much fun. They're really great. And the Young Avengers, the volume two, the one that you read, mm-hmm. um, is kind of sad because that's after Cassie died. Oh, yeah. So that's oh, like Cassie's not in it, but Cassie just came back recently, and she Ooh. and Kate had a big reunion, and it was beautiful. Aww. So, yeah. Um, spoilers <laughs> for anyone listening. Cassie dies at some point. But it's fine. It's She's back Everyone now. Dies. Everyone comes back. Exactly. Except Uncle Ben. Except Uncle Ben. And before that, Bef- except Gwen Stacy, but now she's back. And before that, Bucky Barnes. Yeah. <laughs> but now he's back. And before that, Jason too. Todd. That too, Jason Todd. <laughs> Damn, Uncle Ben really can't catch a break. <laughs> Everyone else can, but not Uncle Ben. Maybe young Uncle Ben will come back and he'll be a superhero because we keep getting hot Aunt May. So young Uncle Ben, hot Uncle is, ben. The next, <laughs> is the next step and he's definitely going to be like a born identity type spy because that's what we're kind of getting played by Matt Spider-Man. Damon <laughs> oh my god he's the, he's a good age he's the same age right as, he's like, um, yeah he's 40 now uh, as Mercer Tomei yeah about well, I think they're both think in, in their 50s right well I think she's older than him Matt Damon's not that old yet ooh Cougar mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this conversation is happening <laughs> guys we can't Matt- bring back Uncle Ben Matt Damon as Hot Uncle Ben <laughs> in Spider-Man Homecoming 2 prom. <laughs> okay. Do you think they're actually going to go to Homecoming in the movie? I hope so. I hope it's, Homecoming. I hope it's like like a classic teenage like story where like Homecoming is like the climax and he has to he has to like pull a Fred Flintstone and go to Homecoming but also save the day. Like, like that would be great. Do you think he yeah. and or any episode of Riverdale? Yeah. <laughs> Will he and Zendaya be named Homecoming King and Queen? Yeah, and he'll swing in on a web. It'll be perfect. He, yeah. he can't do that. He has an identity to maintain, Will he? <laughs> yeah, but his best friend knows. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm a little worried about Spider-Man Homecoming, because the more trailers I see for it, the larger a role Tony Stark gets. That's just because they're marketing it with Tony Stark, because no. that's the most familiar face. Yeah, I feel, I feel like, like he's not as big a presence as the movie yeah. makes him look. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's all a marketing ploy. Yeah. I can see that, but also, I just... Just Tony, just stop. Get get back to your own movie. Stop taking over other franchises. <laughs> he can't be in any movie until Infinity War, so he's gotta. They gotta keep up with him. So wait, what know. other movie has he taken over? Civil War. He took over Civil War. Remember, Captain okay, America well, Three wasn't gonna. I be mean, Civil it makes War. sense, but I know. Well, no, it doesn't, because it should have been a Captain America movie. Right. It shouldn't exactly. have been Avengers Two Point Five. I know, but like we'll say, like it was more than just Tony who took over that film. Yes, obviously, everyone obviously. took it over, and we don't want to relitigate 2016 any longer than we need to. <laughs> Civil War was good. It was good. Civil yes. War, it was good. Yeah, you know, but... it's still fun. Spider Man was a breakout hit, mm-hmm. which is why I'm excited for Homecoming. I'm actually hoping that I, with all the um, the buzz that Wonder Woman has been getting and the word of mouth, that it will go on to be the biggest blockbuster of this year. Nice. More so than Spider-Man, because I'm feeling more excited now about Wonder Woman than I am 
than I was about Spider-Man. I'm so, I still think I love Wonder Woman. It's so good, but Wonder Woman and Thor Ragnarok, can they share, please? Oh, true. Yeah. Yes. I just need some love for my boy Thor. I need people to stop putting him down. I also I want Taika Waititi to have, like, a huge hit. Yes. He deserves it. So we'll have Thor and Wonder Woman. They'll be, like, the top ones and, like, everything else can go away. I agree with that. It's wonderful. But, you know, who would win in a fight? Um, according to Chris Hemsworth, even, Wonder Woman. Of course. I think Wonder Woman would win in any fight. And, like, the reason I put her above everyone else is just because of her Amazon training. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Thor is, just as pa- Thor is just as powerful as she is, but he's not trained the way she is. He probably mm-hmm. had, like, a, a tutor, like, growing up, uh, someone to help him. Like, but then he kept ditching with, his, with the Warriors 3. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, but, like, she was, like, she she wanted to train. He mm-hmm. probably didn't. Yep. He was like, I don't have time for this. I'm the prince. Although they both really wanted to go to war right away yeah take me to the war steve <laughs> her, trevor's like what? Her, her for different reasons though. oh yeah of course yeah. she wanted to stop it he wanted to prolong it yeah <laughs> he just likes to you know he just likes the thrill of it yeah yep so that's what he learned that was his lesson all right Okay. I just love Wonder Woman a lot. <laughs> we have gone war as hell. the biggest superhero tangent. All right, Willoughby, who's your nonfiction? Oh, really? Okay, <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> I brought in a comic book, so then, you know, or HC talked about Miss Marvel, so this was a, lar- a larger co- discussion coming. Um, so my nonfictional female heroine is Nellie Bly, the journalist from the turn of the century. Ooh. She is this really awesome journalist, for those of you who don't know, who not only trotted the globe in under 80 days because she's a badass like that because she was she was inspired by Jules Verne to do that and she was like I can do it mm-hmm. um but she also spent 10 days in a, in a madhouse in an insane asylum and she went undercover as a patient and learned about all the horrific things that are happening that were happening in mental asylums at the time and wrote a scathing um, investigative piece about it and basically helped turn mental health started started the, the a better treatment for men, mental health patients mm-hmm. in hospitals uh, across the nation it, along the lines of what Upton Sinclair did with like the food industry um, even though that wasn't his intention that wasn't his intention <laughs> he meant but, to help with it help immigrants but instead yeah, it was food it was food um, and so basically with labor laws and all that and with her she helped bring about um, it, it's obviously been a slow process, even in the 70s and 60s. You know, electroshock therapy was a thing, um, but she really helped um, uncover the problems that were going on in insane asylums. And uh, she's just a general badass and a great reporter. You know, I feel like in in this day, we need not only uh, uh, female characters to be on screen, but also journalists. Mm-hmm. And so she's a wonderful combination. There's actually a 4D ride at the museum about her. Um, What? Okay, so, I mean, if you've ever been to, like, if you've ever experienced, like, Shrek in 4D Universal Studios or any of these rides, it's basically you sit in a theater with these, like, seats that move back and forth, side to side, up and down. Like, it basically gives you this weird roller coaster ride. And, but this one was really more about the atmosphere of an insane asylum oh, they, interesting. they brought they put in like smoke in like in, in, into the into the room not 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 toxic smoke yeah. but like the, the like a smoke machine yeah um and there was like you, you felt like spiders crawl down onto your shoulders it was it was like it was almost like a horror film mm. um, it was like american horror story asylum 
<laughs> kind of, yes. But it was, but um, I actually, we got through American University School of Communication, um, understanding media. We took a field trip to the museum and included in the museum trip was this 4D experience. And it was about Nellie Bly in the Insane Asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very intriguing. And I'd like to see basically not just about her 10 days in the madhouse, but which was the article, the title of her article, but also just her story. Because mm-hmm. she's not only just a journalist, but she, trod- she she's a globe trotter. She's this, you know, amazing person who, you know, learned about the world. So mm-hmm. I think I think that'd be great. And then uh, turn of the century is one of my favorite periods, you know, like the whole like robber baron era, gangs yeah. of New York era, which is like in like the industrial revolution, like I, you know, is always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my last female character, not character, director is Michelle McLaren. Um, she is, she's directed like 11 episodes of Breaking Bad, an episode of like every HBO prestige, prestige drama on, on TV right now. I think she did an episode of The Leftovers, of Game of Thrones, of Westworld. She did one of Better Call Saul. Like mm-hmm. she's this, uh, journeyman, I guess this would be the title, uh, director for all these TV shows. She's brought in to be an excellent director and a lot of TV, a lot of prestige TV directors have gone on to make big budget movies, mm-hmm. like Alan Taylor, who did Mad Men, and then he also did Game of Thrones, and he went on to do Thor, The Dark World. Um, ironically, after wasn't Michelle McLaren? Up? Michelle McLaren was originally slated to work on. Was she no? Okay. No, I'm pretty well, sure it was, it was Wonder Woman. Patty oh, Jenkins was originally slated to be to work on Thor: The Dark World. Right. Michelle, Michelle McLaren, McLaren was originally slated to work on Wonder Woman, and they both. Ended up leaving. Yeah. Um, so yes. So that, that I think she'd be. She's a. She's a great director. She knows how to do genre. She knows how to do dr- drama. She can do basically anything. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see her direct some sci-fi, some drama biopic, or some of something. I'm not entirely sure what. I just mm-hmm. know she can do it. Yeah. Um, she is ready to make the jump. Yeah. She's basically because Patty Jenkins dire- famously directed the pilot of The Killing, mm-hmm. which. I've heard it was I've heard it was good, you know, but I didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's got all the all these AMC and HBO credits under her belt. I yeah. think she can make the jump to movies really easily. Mm-hmm. Now that now that prestige dramas basically are we hate the term ten hour movies, but they're very much like that. Yes. <laughs> In terms of production. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just all on sets. That's stuff. why I like them. What? Because they're ten hour movies. Well Oh uh, oh you're one of the you're, uh, you're like, ten hour movie defenders. Oh, Anya. Wait, of like the prestige well, okay. Hold on. <laughs> we hold need on. to talk about this. The reason why we I like it is just because it. it usually means it has a tighter, stronger narrative. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it could be like House of Cards where you really can't pick out an episode. Mm-hmm. Well, Sometimes they really go in for the slow build. Any, which is not working out on television. All the Netflix Marvel shows, mm-hmm. I couldn't pick out I could pick out moments. I can't pick out like a singular episode and describe it as, oh, this is the episode where this. Yeah, you can still have a strong episode storyline that's somewhat self-contained, but still lends to a larger arc. Yeah. Yes. I like just think chapters. shorter. I just think shorter episode orders in general. Yes. Oh yeah. No, I, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. Mm-hmm. I'm disagreeing on the term 
I hate when showrunners like, yeah, we think of this really as a 10-hour movie. Yeah, or I Game of Thrones, an 80-hour movie. It's like, stupid. <laughs> I just like that, too, because it really puts down the what you can do with television. And what, te- you, what you can do with, in an hour. Yeah, and what stories you can tell with that. Because you okay. can have self-contained narratives within a larger narrative. Mm-hmm. I misinterpreted then. I'm on your side. Okay, cool. I think <laughs> I we just, like, we needed to we needed to get that out of the way. We need to get that clear. I was like, do we need to make an episode? About <laughs> do we this? need to talk about this? But I think so. Yeah, bringing it back, Michelle McLaren can do prestige drama. She can do movies. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to add about Wonder Woman in front of and behind the camera? Just we need. Yeah. More. I do, I do. I want to, um, because I mentioned this briefly, but uh, like Can, I just want to talk about like what happened at Can and right, why right. it was like so. So Sofia Coppola won Best Director for The Beguiled, coming out later this month. Everyone, please go see it on the big screen. That's how it's intended to be seen. It's gonna be great. I'm very excited. She is the second women, women, woman to ever win Best Director at Can. So, that is sad but exciting. It's a monumental achievement. There are a lot of monumental achievements happening with women lately. Uh, first of all, with uh, Sofia Coppola at Cannes. And then this weekend, with Wonder Woman's opening box office numbers, it makes the largest opening for a, a movie directed by a woman ever. Yep. Yeah, the last one was the first Fifty Shades of Grey movie. Mm-hmm. So as much as you want to deride that film, like, let's not count on the fact that it made a lot of money and it was a female director. So yeah, so Wonder Woman uh, is going to beat that this weekend, which is exciting. And then uh, Jessica Chastain spoke up at Cannes last week and about, I really liked how frank she was. You know, she talked about the fact that a lot of the movies she saw at Cannes um, portrayed women in disturbing ways. And disturbing was the word she used. And I liked how upfront she was about this and the fact that she wasn't kind of afraid of her image or the politics or like PR for her to speak up like this. And she was and... a judge at Cannes, right? Yeah. Yeah, so she was yeah, watching so... all these films and basically making a point about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and saying that, like, we need better stories about women. We need women behind the camera. Because um, I think what people kind of forget is that, like, we're not saying we want stories about only good women. Mm-hmm. Like, we also want stories about women who make mistakes. Women yeah. who Anti-heroes. are, you know, I um, a couple weeks ago I watched Monster for the first time. That's the one directed by Theron? Patty Jenkins. Yeah, yeah directed by Patty Jenkins, Jenkins. Mm-hmm. and um, starring Charlie Theron as serial killer, and it was wonderful. It was a great film, but obviously, you know, like her character is not—it's complicated to say the least. That was almost like one of her breakout roles. Charlie, it was. Theron, it, was right? it was. Yeah, she won mm-hmm. seventeen awards for that role alone. That's inc- incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just remember and, you know, people talking about her transformation into this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, like, I think it's important, you know, like, Jessica Chastain, her comments about, like, disturbing portrayals of women, it's not that we only want women, you know, put on pedestals, but, like, it's when they're depicted typically by men, you know, sexualized and objectified, and, like, I think that's the whole thing about, like, disturbing is that, like, they're allowed to be flawed, but, you know, when they're painted in this like misogynistic way from the point of view of the camera if that makes sense yeah Yeah. no and i liked what jessica chastain also said about she wants to see women on screen that she knows in real life because most of the women that we see in movies are i the ideas of men and are treated through that lens 
so we, when Anya was talking about she wants complex, interesting women, I always go back to my definition of a strong female character, which is not just you know a badass who can slay tons of men at the battlefield, but who is complex and multifaceted and has as many has has as much depth as any male character. Um, it's basically like as complex as a woman that you know in real life. So I I agree with you completely, Anya. There's that really great quote, I forget who said it, which is terrible, but like it's about how like most of the men on camera, like you would never meet in real life. Mm-hmm. Like they're none no human is like that amazing or accomplished or, you know, et cetera. And yet most of the women on screen are not as great as women you know in real life. I should find the mm-hmm. actual quote. Oh, it's I a think really I know that quote. quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do want to also mention as well, um, leading up to Wonder Woman's release, and there's a lot of anticipation for it because it was a, a woman, a, soul, a movie about a woman who was directed by a female director who didn't have any credit, big, big screen credits under her name except for uh, Monster, which was a, a huge indie hit. And people, there was a Hollywood Reporter article talking about how this was a big gamble um, because she had only helmed one indie film beforehand. When in fact, like this... It was, it was calling attention to a big double standard in Hollywood in that a lot of male directors uh, who direct one huge, one, minor, maybe one somewhat successful indie film suddenly make the jump to blockbusters or to superhero movies because those people who are behind the superhero movies see themselves in that male director. And there aren't enough women getting that chance because there aren't enough, you know, mentors or people who are already in the industry who are women um and there's a it's sadly a double standard that whenever there is a female directed movie um that they're they're so rare that there's so much expectation put on them and uh if it fails then there aren't going to be any other female-led movies in the future because that people see that as an example of why women shouldn't direct movies, for example. It's, it's, it's a sad double standard, but it exists. And yet, meanwhile, Josh Trank bombs with Fantastic Four, and yet, you know, these movies, you know, the, this the trend of men getting going from indie to blockbuster in a heartbeat yeah. keeps continuing with yeah. Colin Trevorrow, with... Um, Gareth Edwards, mm-hmm. the, you know, just to name a couple of recent ones. Yeah, and like that's not talking down on their talent. Right. It's just that they get so many more chances than female directors. There's a really great BuzzFeed article. I think I mentioned it on this podcast before um, that talks about how women, even if they make a successful film that gets a lot of acclaim at festivals or at, um, at the theater, they won't be able to get in their job directing a feature film for like for years. It took Patty Jenkins 15 years to get her next feature film. And they have to go to TV and they end up in this endless cycle of just working for men who are less competent and less accomplished than them. And it's really unfortunate. I hope that Wonder Woman and all the discussions that have been happening around Wonder Woman and Patty Jenkins will bring attention to these great, talented female directors who are still working in, the, in this industry and just waiting for their next big break. Um, they, they can only do so much. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's going back to what you said, it was uh, Michelle Wolf on The Daily Show had a really great segment about this where she basically said, like, all these, you know, hopes resting on Wonder Woman as if, like, the future of female directors lie solely with Wonder Woman's success or failure. And she made the great comment that, well, no, women are equal at, like, in Hollywood and at the box office when 
a movie by a female director bombs and she's immediately allowed to go make another mm-hmm. big film. You know, she said that, like, as derided as Batman v Superman was, like, we're still going and, you know, none of the people who worked on that have been tainted by it. Yep. So, yeah, <sighs> it's very telling. Yeah. Josh Trank was supposed to direct a Star Wars movie, but then after Fantastic Four and his and his behind the scenes actions, a lot of he caused a lot of money, a lot of budget, a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. He he was taken off of Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. so there is some backlash to that. Yeah, but not to the extent. It's not like a, a male director bombs and then Hollywood Olympic. shuts down. That's yeah. not gonna. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's end on a hopeful note. Yes. Uh, we hope that our suggestions for women in front of and behind the camera will, you know, be part of the movement going forward for female-led and female-directed movies. All right. Yep. yep. All right. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Anya, why don't you go first? What do you really like this week? All right. So what I'm really liking this week, I'm not going to say Wonder Woman, even though I am really liking it. I'm assuming one of you guys are going to take it and I have something else. So, but I do want to say I really, really loved it. So, mm-hmm. um, but I am really liking the soundtrack for the Broadway musical Come From Away. Hmm. Never heard of it. Have you guys heard of this one? Okay. I have not heard of it. <laughs> so Come From Away um, is one of the sort of one of the front runners for the Tonys. The Tonys are a week from today. Oh. Um, and the... <laughs> Will and I were like, we did not know that. Oops. <laughs> I am very excited for the Tonys. Um, and it's an exciting one this year just because the race is kind of tight between three big musicals right now. It's between uh, Great Comet, Dear Evan Hansen, and Come From Away. I am personally rooting for Great Comet, but Come From Away has become a close second. So Come From Away... I'm going to give you the synopsis, because I first heard the synopsis, and I was super skeptical, and I was like, I don't know about this, guys. (laughs) So this is the true story that the music was based on. So on 9-11, 38 international flights were diverted from landing in New York, and they all instead landed in this very tiny town called Gander in Newfoundland, Canada. Oh, I have heard of it. My parents went to see it in D.C. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so they all these planes had to divert to this tiny town, and they were stranded there for several days, and basically the town of Gander and some neighboring towns, like, basically dropped their lives to take care of these people who were stranded, and, like, took them in, and, like, formed long-lasting friendships, and all these, you know, wonderful, beautiful things that show how great humanity really is. Mm -hmm. And I was super skeptical at first, because it sounded very, like, trite and, like, saccharine to me at first and I was like I don't know how this is gonna work um and then I read all these reviews that were like this is one of the best musicals it's so clever it's so subversive it has really great commentary and I was like okay and then I listened to the soundtrack a couple weeks ago and I haven't been able to stop listening to it the music is so catchy and it tells a really lovely story and it's just so great. And one of the characters um, is a female pilot, and she was the first ever female pilot for American Airlines. Oh. Um, and that's true. And she sings a song about that. So 
it's just super great with its female characters and how it explores this time and how like in the time of tragedy humans came together and did something really hopeful and lovely. So I'm really enjoying the soundtrack for Come From Away. I'm excited to see it at the Tonys next week and hopefully it wins some things and hopefully Great Comet does too. So it's very into that, very into theater. Love me some Broadway. Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Anya. No problem. All right. So my really like this week is, you guessed it, Wonder Woman. I have seen it twice already. Me too. Uh, I love it so much. So I just want to say that I was never a big Wonder Woman fan before I came into this movie. Her character was always quite imposing and brutal and never really uh, quite gelled with me. I've always been a fan. I've kind of been a champion of uh, those compassionate female characters whose empathy and whose uh, kindness are their strengths. I, you know, I enjoy like the badass female character as much as anyone, but I think that women who are kind are just as badass. And Diana in Wonder Woman was all of those things. And it made me so happy to see that on the big screen and to see it done so well um, that you see, and you see it so rarely too. Like, even though we have portrayals of that in Disney films, in like Beauty and the Beast, for example, um, there's always this notion that a woman who has more feminine characteristics is weak. And I love that Diana can well, she is weak in some aspects, but I think she can, I like that she can be weak. I like that she can be kind and naive, but strong and she can do battle and be all of those things and still like be such a great, well-rounded character. And um, I've said this before on like Twitter, but she really reminded me of the best of the Disney princesses. Um, she really is the embodiment of the inquisitiveness of Ariel the strong-mindedness of Pocahontas, the um, the honor and just panache of Mulan. <laughs> I don't I don't know the word for it, but just like the willingness to fight of Mulan, and she has that complex, that hero complex of Moana, and also the magical hair of Rapunzel. And her tail, in in essence, is kind of that there is very parallel to Rapunzel's Entangled, as well as like Flynn Rider and Steve Trevor being somewhat similar as well. Just uh, just putting that out there for you guys. And I like that it takes that idea that like of the Disney princess and how it puts forward and puts on as a priority those ideas of compassion and love being victors at the end of the day and reaffirms that at the end of Wonder Woman. I will go more into this during our review of Wonder Woman in a couple of weeks. Um, it might be next week. But I wholeheartedly enjoyed it. I cried several times throughout. The characters are so great. See, Trevor and Diana are my OTP, and I love it. I'm going to read a lot of fan fiction about them now. And I'm going so to cry while reading it. <laughs> um, HD, I have to ask, have you read a lot of Wonder Woman comics? I haven't, actually. Because the Wonder Woman you're describing is the Wonder Woman I've always known. Oh, like, really? compassionate. Like, Wonder Woman has always... The whole thing about Wonder Woman is that she's always been very compassionate and kind mm -hmm. and soft to humanity. Um, but, like, she's so strong and she's an Amazon and in some origins she's a demigod. Mm -hmm. But her femininity and her kindness never negate her strength. And so 
I just think you should maybe check out some more Wonder Woman comics because I feel like true. you haven't seen. I would really recommend uh, Greg Ruka's run of Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. which is my favorite Wonder Woman run. And I think you'll see the Diana that I've always known yeah. Diana, in the comics. You're, you're yeah, talking about most, was in like Justice League. Most of the, the Diana that I was exposed to was through the Justice League animated show, which showed a very kind of... She was, Brash. She was a she was kind of a scary Wonder Woman. Um, gotcha. And um, I think even in the animated DC animated movie of Wonder Woman, which was her origin, it was kind of similar as well. So that's been my exposure to Wonder Woman. I haven't read any of her comics, but me neither. I might read Greg, Greg Rucka's run because I heard really good things about that one. It's good. Okay. And I, I took my mom to, to see uh, Wonder Woman the second time. I, I saw it with my girlfriend the first time, but uh-huh. my mom like oh, a couple weeks ago was like um so when does woman wonder woman coming out and i'm like you want to see it and she's like yeah i should probably see it on principle <laughs> and so and she really loved it and she doesn't she hasn't seen a comic book movie besides kingsman since really? superman returns huh? um and she was basically in, in it for uh kevin spacey as lex luthor because she loves kevin spacey <laughs> as much as she loves colin firth your mom sounds like my mom <laughs> yeah um so and also she likes superman like she she watched the Christopher Reeve movies, mm-hmm. but um, so she uh, she really liked Wonder Woman a lot. So it's 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 a it's I'm so happy that this movie is so good. And it has such mass appeal too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, my coworker, I was talking to him about this before I saw the movie, and he was like, "Yeah, my wife wants to see Wonder Woman, and he never and she never wants to see a superhero movie." And he's like, "I think this could be like Titanic, and that it appeals to all generations." And now I want to rewatch Titanic. <laughs> All right, Willoughby, what is your really like this week? Well, because I will say I really loved Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. but it's not my really like. Well, it is, but also because of the way we do this, I will say that I caught up on Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I originally started it a long time ago and got through the first season. And then, I don't know, I just it got away from me from finishing the second season. And so last week or so, I, because... The return, it, uh, Twin Peaks returned a couple weeks ago uh, for its third season, which is an 18-hour like miniseries. Um, I decided to finally catch up on what America has been watching since for 25 years, mm. and it's weird. I watched all of season two. A lot of people say you should skip the back half and then watch the finale to be caught up with, uh, and then watch the movie Firewalk with me for season three of Twin Peaks. And I was like, I don't want to miss anything. So I, I watched all of it, probably to my detriment, because <laughs> a lot of plots are just ridiculous and really don't have any stakes in the at the end of the day. Um, except for the Dale, like basically anytime Kyle MacLachlan was on screen, I was interested and intrigued by the show, which is why I'm excited for the, the return, because I'm, Kyle MacLachlan is this great character actor who is who always shows up. He's like the mayor of Portland in Portlandia. Um, he was on How I Met Your Mother for a couple seasons. As Agents like, of S.H.I.E.L.D.? He, he was also on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was uh, Mr. Hyde as well as... Yeah, if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil it more. Um, but yeah, so he's always fun. He's always fun to be around. And in his... Dale Cooper is a great character. And I'm so... Every time he was on screen, I was always intrigued by what he has to say, what he's going to do. Because he's kind of Sherlock Holmesian in mm. terms of... You watched most yeah, of it, right? Yeah, I've seen most of it. So, you know, it's so like he he can detect things very well. He can very much assume the correct thing, mm-hmm. which is always cool. 
to see him, and he's but he's not a jerk. He's not a jerk to people. He he knows he's smart, but he's also kind. So uh, I'm excited for more Twin Peaks. Awesome. And the show is very weird and out there and incredible. It's by David Lynch, so it's very surreal at points and dreams and whatnot. An ode to Americana. Oh, yeah. There's this whole level of the loss of innocence and the evil behind under bubbling underneath Americana. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot. Of, and David Lynch always does that. So it's very cool. Very uh, intriguing. If you've never watched Twin Peaks, I would recommend at least the first season. Speaking of David Lynch, he got an, a standing ovation at Cannes this week or this year, um, which was a nice sort of a redemption for him after Fire Welcome Me got booed at Cannes back when it first came out. So yeah. it was uh, he during the the clip of it, you could see him like crying, and it was really beautiful. So and Firewalk with Me, a lot of people gave it a lot of shit when mm-hmm. it came out. It's it's okay. Okay. If you've never watched Twin Peaks, it would make no sense, obviously. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, people say it's a twin. It, it's a twin it, te- te- it technically takes place before the series, but it really should be, you should watch it after. Okay. So, after season two. So. All right. Yep. So, that is our episode. If you guys have any thoughts on female characters you want to see on screen and the women directors who should take on their stories. If you have any thoughts on Twin Peaks or Wonder Woman or Come From Away, definitely come tell us your thoughts on those things. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're at Falcon Podcast on Twitter. You can uh, go to our blog, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're also on SoundCloud. And we're on iTunes and Google Play where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at hchanbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.